listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. G'day coaches, my online course Evolve Rugby is out. This course is based on the reoccurring lessons and themes that have come up in over 100 interviews of running this podcast. The online course contains video modules, worksheets and a reflective journal and it's just what every coach needs for pre-season planning, mid-season review or post-season reflection. Check out Evolve Rugby via the link in the show notes and use the promo code TRCCP10 to get your 10% discount. Now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 113 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Neil Tunner. Neil is the owner of The Performance Chain, a company that specializes in optimizing individual and team performance. From Scotland originally, he's currently based in Adelaide, Australia, where he has held roles as the director of coaching and as a board member as well. He's had coaching roles with Knox Grammar, Jersey Reds in the English Championship, Manly Marlins and West Harbour in the Shoot Shield. And it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Neil. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, mate. No worries. Uh, how's uh, sunny Adelaide treating you? I, was, I lived there for three years. Uh, brings back good memories. Yeah. Mate, it's uh, it's been great actually. This this week the temperatures dropped to the twenties. Two weeks before that, we're sitting late late thirties, early forties, which uh, it's not much cope for a Scotsman that temperature, mate. <laughs> yeah, you'd be beat red, I'd say. Yeah. Where I'm I'm sitting on minus sixteen in uh, Montreal, so I'd You're take Adelaide any 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 day of the <laughs> week, mate. Cool. So, uh, yeah, you're from Scotland originally. What's a, what's a bit of a backstory with your your playing experiences? How did you get into the game and what was that journey like? Yeah, mate, I, I've touched on this before. Like, I was uh, I was a pretty average player in Scotland playing club rugby. Uh, I was lucky enough to play for a great club in uh, Jed Forest in the Scottish Borders. So, like, if you're born in the town, you're basically born with a rugby ball in your hands. And Right. Um, again, re- really fortunate all the way through there. I was just playing rugby with my mates all, all the way through school. And then uh, I took off to Edinburgh for a little bit, played a bit of club rugby there, and then went back to Jeds um, in the early 2000s and was was lucky enough again that the team was full of my mates still and just went back and played rugby with my mates and I had a great time. Yeah. Uh, ultimately ended up playing up in Edinburgh with a team called Watsonians. Um, that's, that's where I had... Uh, one of my first experiences with coaching as well. It's kind of where I fell into it through injury. Um, but yeah, mate, re- really fortunate. I would say that the biggest underpinning of the whole thing is I played rugby with my mates for most of my playing life and, and absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about for sure. And um, yeah, I love. I met my wife through rugby. She she played as well. And yeah. basically, our our circle of friends is probably ninety percent <laughs> linked to rugby. Yeah. So it's, it's huge it in does. that regard. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And you mentioned, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that first coaching experience. What what was the deal with that? How how'd that come about? And uh, what were some of the big big lessons yeah. for you in those early days? Mate, it's uh, it's a funny story that because I was playing, I was actually playing for Watsonians against Jed on a Friday night, and uh, I blew, I, I had an avulsion fracture, pulled a tendon on my adductor off my pelvis, and basically didn't get it seen ten time. You're supposed to, I think you're supposed to have surgery within sort of a week to two weeks for that and di- didn't get seen in time and ultimately my, thought my playing career was done. Um, at, just at that moment in time, Bruce Aitchison was the head coach of Watsonians and he he basically found an opportunity, gave me an opportunity to to start working with the team from a coaching perspective. And mm. uh, made to be blunt about it, I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing at that stage <laughs> in time. Um, but, but what I did learn... Through that period was that uh, I really enjoyed the interaction with players and trying to help players get better. And uh, it was quite a, quite a tough time. We were going through a bit of a rough patch, so it was it was that how can we influence and keep people together and players together and still still coach them and try and get some results. And it, it was great fun, really really good fun. 
And uh, look, ultimately, it came back to working with good people. Mate. Bruce Aitchison was there. Look, called Matt Mustian, who was playing for Edinburgh at the time, came in and helped coach. Um, and then a cr- cracking playing group as well, mate. Just, just good people. Yeah, and I think I think that's an under underestimated component to a, a coaching journey is uh, having having good mentors around you from from an early, you know, yeah. early doors in the in the career. How how important was that to you? Mate, it was massive. Listen, we used to when I was playing, we used to walk into the change room on a on a Monday or a Tuesday and a Thursday, and Bruce Bruce was highly organised. He's from a teaching background. Mm. He, he understood the impact of sharing sessions for four seconds and all that kind of stuff, so that you'd see it, you'd be prepared for what you're coming into, and that that level of pre- preparation planted a seed within me around around preparation. Mm. Um, that st- still lives with me now. In terms of what what we what we share, what we plan, what we share, and how we can get players in a place where they understand what we're looking for before a session gets on field. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I heard um, researching this this episode. I listened to a pod that you're on. Um, I think uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, Happiness is egg shaped or something. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's the one. Bruce's podcast. Oh, really? Bruce awesome. Bruce is the coach. So, yeah. yeah oh, Bruce great. is that coach and he's, he's still a mate. Uh, oh, fantastic. Really good oh, fella. Nice one. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw the link in, in the show notes too so people can check it out if they want to. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, they, in in that interview, you were talking about um, your, your role uh, with West Harbour in the Shoot Shield and how – you, you felt you got it wrong, especially on a, from a cultural standpoint, um, because yeah. you know of that playing group, eighty five percent of them were Polynesians. What what did you yeah. mean about that? What what were some of the things that you know? Because I think that's a really good lesson for for coaches to learn is if you go into a into a role with preconceived ideas on that, on how things are going to turn out, without yeah. actually you know doing a bit of a litmus test first of all, uh, yeah. it can be a, a rough ride. What, what yeah, it can, and look, it, it was it was probably I'll sort of preempt this. It was it, while it was my hardest year in coaching. It was my certainly up there, sort of top two years in terms of growth as a coach. Yeah, Le- learned a hell of a lot about myself and my approach. Um, in te- in terms of what I did well and what I, what I did wrong, I think when we started, I went in full of energy. First time head coach in the shoot shield, loads <laughs> of energy. Felt like I had everyone. Uh, on the bus that I needed to have on the bus, the right people around me, uh, coaches, players, everything like that. And it, it's the same as everything, mate. It's, it's great when you're just in the door and everyone's excited. We lost our first four games. Uh, we got absolutely pumped there to south uh, uh, at Concord in, in round one. But what we did four, four weeks later from there, we turned it around. We went on a six-game uh, winning streak. And... I guess the reason we're telling you that is it actually papers over some of the cracks. Um, where where I got it wrong was created a culture that wasn't really specific to the individual. Mm. And when when you're working, particularly with the Polynesian lads, it's it's really important. It's, it's important with everyone, but it's really important with the Polynesian lads that that you meet them where they are. Yeah. As an as an individual, as a human being, and and recognize what's valuable and important to them. And then try and create that environment that mm. supports it, supports the individual. And I got that wrong, mate. Like it, it, it was club rugby. We were training uh, three, three, four times a week. Playing on Saturday, I went in with the expectations that everyone was desperate to be a professional, mm. and I wanted to create this program that supported pushing people to being professionals. Yeah, and that was probably that should have been probably stage two or stage three. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, that's what I got wrong, mate. But look, again, immensely grateful for that opportunity to coach at that level at that moment in time. Uh, it was massive growth for me, and it it gave me like I came out of that, and the self reflection I went through was just just phenomenal. And it and it actually changed the course of who I was as a coach. Yeah, I think I think there's great lessons there, and um, you know, I I, I love every you know a lot of people who haven't played in the Southern Hemisphere. May not have had teammates who are Polynesian, but you know every every team you're playing, there's there's Polynesians in the team, and yeah. um, you know they're they're special. I, I love playing with them. I love playing against them. They'll yeah. they'll they'll give you a good smashing, and then 
have a big smile yeah. on their face and pick you up yeah. afterwards and have a beer with you or whatever. But you know what what they're big about is 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 family and yeah. faith and yeah. that that then tells coaches that okay how can I how can I use this you know powerful motivator to also sure. you know help help with performance as well what sure. what would you do different do you think uh, well mate I, I went in with that I went in with that approach like recognizing that how important family was but, mm. but what a like I went in with a broad brush is what I'd say r- yep. rather than getting the nuts and bolts of what that looks like for them mm. um so so I'd certainly Go, going in an environment now any environment whether it's whether, whether it's uh northern hemisphere southern hemisphere far east north america i go in the environment and and i'd dig into what, what the people that are there are already so mm. what what are they what's valuable to them what do they value and then i'll try and build a program around that rather than walking in with this preconceived idea mm. of hey this is what's going to make this place successful and that just be my idea and mm. walk in and actually nuts and bolts, right? Where is this place now? Blank what, sheet of paper. What's the base that we've got to build off? Right? Yeah. Let's look at the people. Let's look at the facilities. Let's look at the environment. Let's look at where it is now. And how do we add value to that? How do we pull it together and connect it? Um, it was very different to what I was back in 2015, mate. I was like, nah, this, like, I was quite bullish around mm. this is what's going to make this successful and uh, yeah. I've taken all the advice I need and I've, <laughs> yeah, I've got the, I've got this plan that I'm going to go and execute and everything's going to go brilliantly and yeah uh, just all those things about a young head coach that you're walking yeah. in and you're going yeah, very I, can, I can make this place successful yeah. it is very common mate. very very yeah. common yeah cool and then you went on you went on to the Manly Marlins after that yeah. role, what what were some of the differences there in in your approach and and yeah. the the outcomes? Mate, so I went to so I was head coach at West Harbour. I went to Manly to support Billy Melrose as an assistant coach, and I was looking after the technical side of contact. Uh, I was looking after the the forward scrum line out, all of that kind of stuff. And what what that it was really enjoyable because through that period, what it let me focus back in on was the technical side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how to how to build the technical sides and the relationships to, to develop players? Mm-hmm. And look, I was there for I think seven months all up before I got the opportunity to go to Jersey. But that that was still off the back of West Harbour. That was a really important period in my development where I didn't have the pressures of being a head coach and I could just get stuck in relationships on technical and tactical. And I think when you're an assistant coach, it's it's often easier to build relationships with players that get results mm. um, rather than being a head coach. But look, I loved that. It was a really great opportunity. Crack me. Like I was I was working in Knox Grammar School at the time as well. And I'm driving a train and I'm coming over the hill there and you see the whole of Manly. And look, I used to drive the train here in the back of your neck stands up. So I absolutely love mm. going there. Like yeah. Great, great bunch of players. Um, some some cracking individuals and characters that just made it really enjoyable. Awesome. That's cool. And then the Jersey Red. So, uh, what had that role come up? And you know, it's an English Championship club, so it's it's you know a, a big big move from going from Australia into back back over to the UK. Yeah. What what was that experience like? What were what were some of the big takeaways for you there? It was uh, a real really enjoyable three years. Uh, really challenging three years. Again, it. it the way it came about was uh, I basically I had an, an agent by that stage. So off the back of doing the NRC, I'd been put in touch with an agent. Um, and he he just gave me and said, listen, I've got you an interview with Jersey. Um, and made three, three interviews three weeks later, got an offer from them. And four weeks after that, I was on, I think, I think it was four weeks. Uh, I, got, I got on a plane without the family and went over to Jersey to get stuck in there. Mm. It was just a it was just a great opportunity, mate. I, through the interview process, I felt like I connected really well with the DOR and the vision that he had, um, and it, it was the right it was the right opportunity to go into that full time environment. Um, it's what I was looking for at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Re- really pushing hard to try and achieve it, and look, I, I was very fortunate, mate, that they they interviewed me, offered me the role, and then got across there, took the family in. Um, so I went in the April. The family came towards the end of May. And from a from a life experience perspective, mate, absolutely outstanding. From a coaching experience, uh, again, like a really important period in my coaching development because it 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 taught me the importance of being me, 
Mm. Um, there, there was times going into that new environment, full-time environment, where I was trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be as a coach. Um, and in, in a sense, what I had to go through through that period, learning the importance of what my values are, my approach, uh, being me, and the influence that that can have on the environment and the players in the environment and other people in the environment, that was a massive learning curve for me. Yeah, I think that that concept of being me is a is a big one that comes with experience, and probably you know goes back to that new coach uh, mentality where often you'll you might coach the way you were coached, uh, or yeah. you might go the complete opposite. But you it takes you a while while to calibrate to find how, yeah. how you naturally coach and how you naturally interact with people, and you shouldn't steer too far from that. I feel in in terms of being authentic and genuine. Completely agree. Completely agree, mate. I, I was watching. Uh, I was. I watched the Super, super Rugby at the weekend. Taz and mm. the Brumbies and Eddie Jones was on before it on just on it, getting an interview, and he said something that sort of really really struck a chord with me. He's, he spoke about he's recruiting into his coaching team at the moment, mm. and he, he's lo- he's looking for a balance of analytical coaches and relationship coaches. Mm. And what what that made me think about myself because uh, I think I went into Jersey and I think they. I thought they were looking for something around that uh, analytical side of things. And I was trying to be that, but I'm very much uh, a relationship, collaborative, uh, connection coach. Mm. Doesn't mean that the, the technical and tactical is not important to me, but I'm very, mm. very much about everything coming from a base of relationships mm. uh, versus walking in and, and analyzing, pulling up spreadsheets and looking at looking at all the, the small margins around data and all that kind of stuff. It's important to understand the importance of it, but it's not the foundation of where I'm built from as a coach. Mm. And I, pro- I probably tried to, I was probably uncomfortable in that space thinking that that's what they wanted me to be and it took me away from being me. Yeah. I had Eddie on the on the podcast and I asked him that exact question, how do you choose your coaches? And he yeah. uh, he said, um, uh, I was he chatted with Justin Langer about something similar and he, yeah. Justin's Langer quote, quote was character over cover drive. And uh, so that's obviously, you know, stood true with uh, how he's proceeding now. Eddie yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's a huge, hugely important. And the work we're doing now, uh, particularly in the corporate space, trying to trying to help businesses steer more towards around the quality of the human and the character of the human rather than just the X's and O's. Uh, something that's really coming through in our work now as well. Mm. Yeah, and we'll definitely dig into that in, in a little bit. Um, you know, I want to touch on on some of your experiences from a rugby standpoint in, in Adelaide, in South Australia, it's not, not a heartland for rugby in Australia. And, you know, you, you've had a couple of roles there. One as director of coaching for rugby union SA and also, also as a board member, can you, can you talk about, you know, those experiences and, and what some of the challenges have been like there? Yeah, absolutely. It covers, uh, I was really fortunate that we, we were, we, we bought a house here in Adelaide Hills in January 2020 and COVID kicked in in the March and uh, it, gave, it basically gave us somewhere to try and get home to, if you like, but mm. came back not really knowing too much about rugby in the area, contacted uh, Grippy RA and said, listen, Grippy, I'm coming back to Oz. Uh, can, you connect, can, can you connect me with anyone in the game in South Australia that... Look, I'd, I'd like to come back and contribute in some some shape or form. Uh, just don't know where it sits, how, how that might look. So he put me in touch with Carl, the CEO. Um, flew back in, had a coffee with Carl, and legend. Play to him. Yeah, he's a good man. He, he <laughs> came back to me within sort of forty hours and said, "Listen, we're gonna, we're going to create this role uh, that'll help the state tap into your experience." And uh, maybe had a little bit of support from RA with that as well, which was nice and. So I sort of picked up a coach development role and it was, I mean, the title was director of coaching. Ultimately what I was doing was working with the, the coaches um, to, to try and create development experience for them. So mm. the, ga- the game here, yeah, you've played you play the game here. I mean, it, it ebbs and flows in ter- terms of the product. Uh, mm. And there was probably an opportunity there to try and work with the coaches to upskill them and, and sort of broaden their knowledge of the modern game that allowed them to go back to the clubs and really influence that. Um, which, like, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's half a dozen coaches here that I now have uh, friendship relationships with. Mm. Um, 
while still in that sort of sit in that mentor space with them. I'll catch up with them weekly, see what they're up to, uh, try and challenge the thinking a little bit, look at how they're developing themselves. Uh, the, the other one, Tommy Hankey. Uh, he, Tommy, what Tommy works with us now at the performance chain as well. So he was a coach that I connected with. And saw his passion for coaching and the way he went about things, and his passion for developing people. And that's that's probably the biggest standout here. Is there is a passion for the game in South Australia? Mm. It's not it's not a heartland in in Australia, mm. but there is a passion. It's a tight knit community. Look, um, they're they're looking at the game now from the perspective that they want they want to grow and progress, and they're planning around that. There was a a double header test here last year. That's right. Yeah. Um, which again, that exposure for the game is awesome. Is yeah, just, it's invaluable. What that's done and leading it a little bit around the board stuff is that we've gone through a strategic planning process with the board over the last year. And, uh, what it's done is opened up some vision, if you like, for the state government. Yeah. And the state government are now seeing the value of having rugby uh, at the highest level in the state for exposure, economy, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So. It's quite an exciting time for the game in South Australia, and there's an opportunity to really push it on. Yeah, and, South, um, and Adelaide's a great city for a major event as well. It's massive, mate. And look, yeah. I, I think uh, I think it was voted like the second best city in the world to live in two years yeah. in the bounce in the last five years. So well, that gives you an indication of the quality of life. Again, you've experienced mm, I mean, The quality of life yeah. here is outstanding. Um, so, yeah, that's... Just made really privileged and happy to be involved at board level now, and uh, just trying to support and help the game grow in South Australia. Yeah, and how how different is that being a coach developer to a or or coach supporter to someone on the board now? What what some of the 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 similarities and differences you you're observing there? I think uh, for me, mate, going in and and trying to take some of that stuff. Uh, like from from like I learned in New South Wales, I learned the Jersey Reds, the the importance of open, honest, transparency, transparency, mm. um, a, a willingness to challenge, uh, get getting around the table and trying to get everyone around the table to understand the importance of like pushing the boundaries. Mm. Trying, trying to get around the table and go right let's set big challenges here and then let's be strategic around how we, how we go after them so I'm trying to influence uh, in that way mate I'm trying to bring challenge constructive challenge um, re a real honesty around the approach and, and trying to sort of I guess in that sense lead from that that respect is, mm. is just try, trying to get everyone to the point where listen let's let's get around the table and really push each other here around what's right for the game Hi coaches, in January I had the opportunity to go on the Crusaders Coaching Leadership Program and let me tell you, it was awesome. The videos from Robbie Deans, Razor Robertson, Kieran Reid and Sam Whitelock were like binging your favourite Netflix show. And the other coaches were amazing as well. There are 127 of us from 15 different countries. And the best part is, it's all online so you can work it around your busy schedule. Highly recommend this course if you get the chance. Check it out at crusaderscoaching.com. Now back to the show. All right. Well, let's let's dig into uh, your 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 one of your main roles, the performance chain. Um, your LinkedIn bio says uh, connecting purpose, people, and healthy performance. What do you mean by that? And and how do you get that to come to life in a in a team environment? Yeah, mate, I think it's uh, this is where a real passion sits for me, and, and it, I guess it it has probably come off the back of my learning at West Harbour. So that that sort of ninety degree turn and change in mm. approach. It's we're we're working with businesses now, mate, at, at multiple different levels, but ultimately, what we're trying to do is help businesses create a brilliant experience for the people that work for them. Um, and what what does that mean? Well, that means we look at leadership. We look at things like um, teamwork, team function, and connecting someone's individual reason for getting up in the morning with the company's values and, and purpose, and try trying to show businesses that they can move at speed like sport does as well around that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's as simple as how they communicate with each other that allows mm. them to move faster. Um, with what we're finding through what we do as well is we're we're having 
the feedback that we're getting from the people we're working with is it's having an impact on strategic thinking, strategic problem solving. Uh, their teams, as an example, historically might have been quite siloed. So everyone comes into a leadership meeting with their, with their agenda mm-hmm. and they stick to their agenda versus actually sitting around the table going, right, what are we leading here? We're leading the organization. Right, how are we going to do that? Uh, and then how do we support each other in our different departments? So just trying to open up that kind of stuff in business, mate, and let them see that it's possible to connect the, their purpose, have a really clearly defined purpose and value system and uh, connect the people to it and have it drive the quality of the environment that, that people work in. And um, for for coaches who are who are looking to, or who should be looking to to creating a a, a healthy positive working culture within their teams, what's some advice you'd you'd give them? Again, I would I would go right at the the people, the individuals that are on on your team. Get get to know them, understand what makes them tick. Um, the the other piece of that from a leadership perspective is. Like, I think vulnerability plays a massive part in the way you connect with your people. Mm, yeah. So uh, as a leader, what, what I learned particularly through Jersey experience is I, I don't need to walk into the room as a leader and have all the answers all the time. Mm. I need to, I need to have the questions that lead players or lead lead people to the answers. So that that's what I learned is how to sort of create a, a toolbox of questions that really opens up uh, thinking. And then in turn, those questions, how can I connect people through that process? So I think uh, from a team perspective, getting at people's level, connecting them to each other, connecting them to the purpose uh, of the organization and and themselves. And then the bottom level of that is like how important the role is in an organization. Mm. So what does that look like when it comes to life? That's as simple as... uh, Sort of rewarding and celebrating great behaviors. So someone does really well. Let's say, let's tell them. Mm. Alice Ferguson's a great example of that. I mean, Alice Ferguson says the two most powerful words as a coach are well done. Mm. So again, you walk into work environments. How often are leaders and teams just just walking past it? Hey, awesome job yesterday. That was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. no, true. And uh, if if coaches could only have three books or resources on this topic, what would you yeah. give them? So again, I'll go to the corporate side. I would go uh, Patrick Lencioni. Um, he wrote a book called The Advantage. Uh, outstanding. It, it influences almost all the work we do. Um, probably another one is James Clear and Atomic Habits. That's yeah, probably at yeah. the forefront of my mind because I listened to his podcast with the high-performance guys yesterday. Yeah. But, but again, yeah. that, that recognising what good habits are uh, recognizing when you're maybe straying away from that and then that self-reflection piece that allows you to come back on track then the last book um mate i'm having a look behind to see what i've got here i saw some back there <laughs> you've got mate, surrounded by idiots is a pretty good book oh, cool got, haven't heard that one you, you got bill walsh there obviously mate. It's, yeah it's like a it's like a bible almost um there's there's a couple of books there, mate, that are that are sort of go tos for me. I've got yeah. I've got a business partner as well, mate, based in Jersey, uh, Jimmy, and like he he is an encyclopedia of the best books to read. So I've got a list on my phone from him. That's yeah, mate, I've got no chance of getting through it in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Ray McLean's uh, Any Given Team. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a that's one of the first ones that I read in my. Yeah early days coaching that was just a holy crap moment for me i've been doing it all wrong um so that what, what was the right. what was the biggest takeaway from that book uh just player player ownership that you're you're purely a facilitator and not purely a facilitator but a large part of your role is to fil- facilitate the team's yeah. vision not create the team's vision similar to what you were talking about with with west harbor i started yeah. coaching uh, uh, to try and undo uh, some of my uh, moments in my playing career that didn't go well, um, yeah. and I was a player coach as well, so I was I was chasing uh, my dream and using the team as a conduit for that, yeah. Um, yeah. which was obviously uh, <laughs> it's set up for disaster. Uh, but it took me two a, a year and a half of 
some deep reflection. Well, a lot, a lot of mistakes, and then some deep yeah. reflection on lonely car rides home from uh, you know pretty rough playing experiences. Um, yeah. That to to start kind of turning the mirror inwards and, and going on a a big journey on on personal development and coach development, and Very yeah, it definitely easy. still continues today. You've touched on something massive there for me, and that, that's the like through that coaching journey where, where you go from almost coaching for yourself to, to having those light bulb moments around coaching. Uh, and for the best coaches, uh, you listen to some of the guys that have been your podcast mate, like Wade Smith is an example, mm. like the most selfless people in the world. They're, they're always thinking about the people that are around them uh, more than they're thinking about themselves. And I think that's a really, uh, like a really good point. We, we speak about that in the corporate space around think all the trust equations so what mm. you, what you say what you do um and then like self-orientation so like if, if you display that you're doing something for yourself it just destroys trust in an organization mm. whereas if you actively look for opportunity to to show that you care about others and your driving factors are about developing and helping other people grow um then the impact on trust around that is pretty big yeah yeah couldn't agree more Cool. And uh, last question before we wrap things up, you, your work takes you over to the US quite a bit um, and you've you've had some, you know, involvement and observations of the the MLR over in North America. What what are some what have been some of your takeaways on on that competition's format and and, you know, long term uh, future and and yeah. areas that, you know, it could grow and, and be a really good. I hate the word product when I talk about rugby, but. You know, really yeah. good, uh, good product. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's probably one of the most uh, one of the most curious spaces in terms of rugby and growth at the moment. In the US, mm. I think, uh, like it's a really exciting time, and and I get asked quite often because of my my sort of time over there is is about the the whole thing around it being a sleeping giant. Um, I'm not. I'm not really sure where I buy into in terms of that terminology, mm. but where where they are is they've got something that's really exciting, and they're working really hard to try and make it successful at, dif at different levels. Uh, there's some challenges in the states around alignment, obviously, because geographically the places is huge. It's absolutely massive. So how do, how do you get the the U.S. side of the game aligned with MLR and MLR aligned mm. with what produces talent like college, academy, that kind of stuff? So. It's a really interesting space there. Um, it, it's it's working really hard to grow and grow at speed. You touched on the product component there, which is it's really, it's a really interesting comment that because America is different in mm. terms of sports and professional sports than almost everywhere else in the world, uh, and they they view it as business and they view it as sports entertainment and they're looking for returns. Um, they're investing in the game because they, they are looking to build business and get returns. Um, so from that perspective, it's very unique. Yeah. And, and I think like you've got this World Cup on the horizon. I think mm. the, the world in rugby terms would do well to recognize how unique the US is. Yeah. And I think they've done an outstanding thing um, by putting Scott Lawrence in there at this moment in time as the head coach of the Eagles. Scott, 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 the US, uh, he, he's American. He understands the game at every level in America. He's a passionate American. And I think I think they need someone leading the organization that understands America and American yeah. sport and, and what the game needs there. So I was really excited when I saw his appointment there um, from a leadership perspective. I know, he'll, I know he'll try and create that identity that is unique to the US rather than having a high profile international coach come in yeah. and again again take what they think is going to be right for the US. You've got an American there that has that uh, sort of that, that real gritty experience around where the game mm. is in the US and what it needs. And I think that that will help the game grow there. That'll be exciting. Yeah, I think I think that's probably one of the biggest things in North America, and I include Canada in that, obviously, is... Um, you, I saw saw something going around on Twitter the other day of uh, every head coach in the MLR is uh, from another country, not not US yeah. based, not Canadian based. I think yeah. that's a major problem. Uh, and then you look at, you know, I don't know the US coaching setup very well, but you look at the coaching setup here in Canada, and 
And on the men's side of things, every every major role really well actually the sevens coach is now Canadian, Sean White. Uh, but the head coach for you know as long as Kieran Crowley um, was involved has been a, a foreign coach, and I've got no problems with yeah. a foreign coach. But there has to be there has to be clear pathways for your local coaches to yeah. to be able to connect the dots and say, okay, I'm here now. If I work really hard, I could be here. I could also then be here, and then I could be here. But if there's if there's never any you know future shown yeah. by someone before you. I think that that damages the game below in the grassroots for sure. Man, I, I couldn't agree more, and and I think you nailed it there. It's it's that what's a succession plan? So right, mm. there's there's international coaches across the board at every MLR team just now. So what what's happening below that to actually develop American coaches? What's bringing them on and giving them the experience and exposure that's required on that journey at some point where they can compete successfully mm. for those spots as uh, head coaches, assistant coaches academy directors and um, national team coaches assistant national team coaches and mm. uh, national team pathway coaches it, it's about arming them with the tools it's a global market now mate right so you're all what you're always going to get is you're always going to get foreigners putting their hand up for professional roles so for sure it's a really really global game but what what should be happening is the development of american coaches or canadian coaches to the point mm. where they can really compete effectively for those roles and start to win in those roles yeah and then start to tip that balance towards hey we've, we've got we've got loads of great talent here in america and we, we can choose american talent or we can choose canadian talent yeah wherever else that may be yeah there's got to be a there's got to be a mind shift in those who are making the decisions and the the hires um the current mind shift definitely in canada is that you can't go from a a club or grassroots role and work your way into a high performance role um, that's just false because everyone comes from a grassroots coaching role one, one time in their career. So yeah, that, that re- that's got to change first. May I feel really passionately about that, and I, and I think we get it's it's partially because of the journey I've been on, um, mm. and I, and I was speaking to actually I've got a mate who's director of development now at the Georgian Rugby Union, uh, Ryan, right. mate, and and he we had that exact conversation yesterday. We were talking about uh, different appointments and almost through the process of recruitment now, if you if you haven't had previous professional experience, uh, even quite often as a player, so often as a player, professional player, puts you in front of coaches who have six, seven, eight years, nine, ten years Crazy. of coaching under the belt. Imagine and that I mean, in I any think, other career. <laughs> well, mate, it's disrespectful to coaching, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, hundred percent. And I don't mean that in a sense that I'm being disrespectful to players who have gathered experience, but mm. coaching is a craft. Yep. And, and and as we all know, you got to learn that craft. Mm. And seven or eight years coaching, uh, let's say you've coached a school, let's say you've coached Pathway, let's say you're coaching club in, in Sydney or mm. you, Auckland, wherever that may be, London, you know, Edinburgh, wherever that may be, you, you're building experience and not only the technical and tactical X's and O's, but and how to manage different types of people, how to yeah. build things in a rugby sense with different types of people. So I think there needs to be a shift that you don't have to have been a professional player or in a professional environment to bring value to a professional organisation. Mm. Yeah, I think you've got to be able to make a whole bunch of mistakes when you're not under the microscope as well. We saw that with Martin Johnson now how poorly equipped he was for that role, um, even though he was a brilliant player. Um, So, yeah, I I think rugby's still got a long way to go in that regards. And to be honest, I don't really hold my breath. Um, I'm I'm not holding my breath, I mean. Um, And that's why I love club club footy so much. It's like you can can go to your local club if you're a coach and – you know, you can get results and you can, you can basically do what's being done anywhere else. And you, yeah. c- you can control that environment and, and how you deliver your sessions and how you relate with your players and your community. Um, yeah. I, I think that's uh, an, often an enviable position for professional coaches because quite honestly, a lot of them look bloody miserable. Mate, uh, and listen, I think you, you, you sort of opening Pandora's box a little bit here, but co- co- <laughs> Cody Royal does some outstanding work yeah, in that space. Yeah, he's trying to sort of re- sure. reframe reframe what that looks like. And mm. 
Um, like his big thing is talking about how lonely it is as a head coach, and I, I would sort of question um, if it is that lonely, then then the game's not really supporting the head coach in the way they need yep. to be supported. Yeah. Uh, so so how do we how do we shift that dial? How do we get balance? Uh, friend, I know friendly kind of made made some changes that mm. allowed him to get home earlier at night and yeah. re reshape the expectation within the playing group, and the playing group bought into that and understood mm. it. And but th- those are all the small things around that environment that come back to what you're saying there in the professional game like it it should be enjoyable mate mm. it should be enjoyable you should get you should get that enjoyment without the weight of pressure necessarily always pushing down and yeah and i think again pandora's box there's a there's a re-education to do from a from an ownership perspective around what it takes to build success and the time it takes to build success as well mm. and Again, it's soccer as an example. You look at the English Championship soccer, mate, the life expectancy of a manager there is about three and a half months or something. Oh, like brutal. That. And that's just brutal. It's just obscene. And yeah. in some senses, rugby has gone a little bit that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just got off the um Crusaders uh leadership course, the online course yeah. they offer. And um yeah, I, I really enjoyed it on a number of levels, but I, I loved how they talked about um fun and connection and family and and yeah. you know winning winning was kind of trickling away in the background but it wasn't like the yeah. main thing and and clearly there's some there's some happy people in that in that community and you know saracens is probably another one that does it pretty yeah. well and uh, i think there's there's lessons to be learned there from 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 clubs that want that want it to happen like some clubs will just grind coaches and players into into dust but a club that really wants to role model this stuff uh the the, the blueprints are out there for in a few areas oh i mean th- i think i totally agree i think i think uh again if you watch coaches or interviews on the tvs and and then like i think the authenticity is really important there and so, mm-hmm. somewhere where you see that is the crusaders uh, i was in there in 2017 just before i went to jersey just for a for a day or two and they dropped pulled up at rugby park and and on the public park outside rugby park there's a whole load of mate, fully grown adults dressed in velcro suits with bows <laughs> and arrows and then they're running around playing some game with that's them. epic and and that that's was that was a recovery yeah, yeah, that's it, awesome. it, it yeah. Was there. They, they were having the time of their life and uh when you watch them training you see you see that that level of enjoyment and what mm. they do from coaches and players and that that's again like they, they've got they've got their foundations in place there they've got systems and processes they know can deliver results so mm. uh part of that foundation culturally is enjoyment for them which yeah live and breathe it yeah and that's that's why we all started playing it to to begin with you know and that doesn't yeah. change even when you're an adult so yeah it's a yeah. good way to Move into the final four questions because uh, that's what the first question is about. When you were a kid growing up in Scotland, who was one of the first players you 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 looked up to and you you admired the way they went about the game? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple there. Like I, I grew up in uh, Jedburgh on the Scottish borders, and as a kid, uh, Roy Laidlaw was playing nine for Scotland. Yeah, and uh, he he was an absolute hero of mine. And I was lucky lucky enough that when we moved to Jed. Ended up playing in the same minis teams as his sons and around the same thing, and then ended up playing rugby all the way through. Uh, that that was pretty awesome. Go, going around for as a twelve or thirteen year old going for tea at Royal Laidlaw's house. That it was pretty <laughs> cool. Um, and then there was again the sort of follow on from him was Gary Armstrong at Jed, mm. who that Gary was just absolutely world class mate. And I, I was lucky enough in the early two thousands he came back to play in the borders and. I got to play in that Jed team with him a couple of times. It was just, uh, just awesome. Yeah, nice. And what about now? Mm-hmm. Who was, who are some of the players you like uh, watching play now? Yeah, mate, look again. I love watching teams play with freedom. Mm. You know, so so teams that find uh, broken field quickly. Mm. Uh, like again, you look at the Hurricanes and the way they play. Get get a lot of enjoyment out of watching that. Um, not Northern Hemisphere, a little bit more structured, obviously, but you start, there's, there's a shift towards 
from teams like Harlequins um, and certainly Bristol and Park Lamb. They they mm. played some some more open, uh, just just that ability to break the field open and go and support mm. each other and 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 get some results. So they they're the teams that I like to watch now. I like to watch how they go from structure to structure and how how they have that ability to do it really quickly and then hurt teams is pretty cool. Yeah, I really enjoy that too. I I think you know there's there's room for structure, but it can't all be structured and I love I love watching uh teams evolve too like Leinster has evolved into a, a yeah. team that's pretty good at off- offloading now when yeah. you know maybe 6 years ago they wouldn't have thrown one offload in 80 minutes so yeah. I, yeah. I enjoy watching that too it's that freedom isn't it like I said mm. you touched on it before it's like uh, we played we started playing the game because it was play we had the enjoyment mm. factor it was yeah. like you go out and you play and you try things and you know and when you see it, I think when you see that come through in some of these teams now, like you see the enjoyment, the fun they have yeah. doing it. Fiji are another example. Like you, oh, yeah. you watch, you watch Fiji, regardless of the result, you watch them play. You've got a smile on your face watching yep. them play. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No fear. No, no, no concerns about making an error. That's right. Uh, every, everything's done at full speed and yeah. full effort. Yeah. Awesome. And what about coaches? Third question: Who are some uh, high-profile coaches that you you like what they do? Yeah, mate. Wayne Smith's obviously right up there. Yeah. Um, just I think I think what like it's back to that what he understands and creates in terms of environment that supports the kind of stuff mm-hmm. I'm just speaking about. Um, really, really, really cool, mate. And it's like everything he does is underpinned by a, like an unbelievable depth of knowledge around the game. Yeah. Um, so he's yeah, mate. He's pretty uh, he's pretty awesome, isn't he? Uh, other than that, who am I looking at? I mean, I I, I love uh, I love watching Darren Coleman. Yeah. That da- Darren's up at the Waratahs just yeah, now, yeah. and he's he's someone that's that's like, a good story. Hard, yeah, he's done it the hard way and never given yep. up, mate. And he's mm-hmm. like he's he's coaching his his home province, and he cares deeply about it, and he's. Yeah. He's been around the world and back to just keep growing and progressing as a coach, and he's stuck with it. And that opportunity's finally come along. So I've got I've got a lot of admiration for what he's done. Yeah, it's a great, it's a good story. Like I I like because I, I grew up in Newcastle, and I remember Darren was a like a community liaison officer twenty yeah. years ago, and he he's just grinded away. Yeah. And you know, and that that goes back to what we were all talking about earlier. Like those stories need to exist in every country, and. Yeah, you know, they, if they don't, the 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 coaching community lose faith and yeah. and just you know put the walls around their club and and that's yeah. not what we want. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good story. Uh, and final question: um, Who's someone in the grassroots who feels doing good work and and deserves a shout out? Uh, great great question. There's there's a couple of guides here in South Australia. Um, there's a guy called Chris Graham, mate. That was uh, he was coaching South actually. Right. Uh, he's a, he, he was a school teacher in New South Wales. He's he's come into this community and he mate, he like he just wants to contribute uh, to yeah. the point where he's he's actually just started a role working with Rusa. So he's right. walked away from teaching to get in the community game and like, awesome. again, I've got wow. that's a pretty brave brave move yeah, for a teacher in a, in a private school to go and get stuck in the community rugby. So. Mm. A lot of admiration there, um, mate. The other one is. Uh, Grippy's doing some, like I mean, he was a one-man band for Ari and the coach development side of things mm. for a long time, and he he's done so much good. Um, so I would I would class him as still the, that community game because he's developing coaches and developing teams that develop coaches through Australia. Yeah, um, yeah. Mate, like it's it's hard, mate, because there's it's a community game and there's so many so many doing work. It's, yeah, oh, mate, it's just. Without, and without them, there's no game, mate. And that's, again, bigger picture. We look at the importance of the community game to support the professional game, not not the professional game to support the community game. Mm. The community game supports the professional game. 100%. And w- w- without it, mate, there's no game. Yeah. Like, with, yeah. like without it, there's no game. It's uh and and but, and everyone's of equal importance. I always get my back up yeah. a bit when uh when you hear the the cliche without referees there's no game. Well, yes, that's true, but also without coaches there's no game, yeah. without players there's no game, without you know, people help helping out behind the bar and the canteen, there's yeah. there's no game. So uh we have we have to value everyone's contribution equally. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point because you, you touched on something earlier around the whole player-centered approach. And and like I've, I've probably, over the last two or three years, I've pushed back on that, that language around player-centered. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I've probably changed it to people-centered. Yeah. Because I, yeah. Because I think on-field, off-field, um, yeah, community, support, everything, I think everyone has a really, really important part mm. to play in, in what actually happens on the field. Yeah. So uh, I think... Uh, my thinking there is the the want to show how valuable everyone is, not just the player, how valuable the player is, how valuable the physio is, mm. how valuable the coach is, how valuable the manager is, how valuable the committee member is, how valuable the, the supporter that's paying 10 bucks to come through the gate and the influence of that 10 bucks on the club. Mm. Uh, do you know what I mean? The whole approach to whether it's the community game or the professional game, I, I don't think that matters. I think it's just it should be people-centered. Yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, that's a that's a great way to wrap things up, mate. I've really enjoyed this chat. We uh we went down some rabbit holes there, and we we went we yeah. made our way out safely. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think this one would be a good one to have a few beers over and uh and chat further. So definitely, when I'm back in Adelaide, I'll uh I'll hit you up for one. And uh, just want to thank you for giving up your time for coming on the show. And uh, great to chat, mate. Ah, oh, mate, thanks for having me. Uh, so it's always great to get an opportunity like that. So really appreciate you reaching out and uh, but you're doing some great things with the podcast. So long, mate, continue. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. enjoyed the show please leave a review via itunes and keep listening for the next episode you can also follow us via twitter at rugby coaches cnr or via the website the rugby coaches until next time keep sharing ideas to make the game better